Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice, mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to this latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today, Chris and I are going to be talking about the common pitfalls of selling a dental practice, of which there are many. <coughs> of which there are many, and they are common, and they are pitfalls. Yeah, and I suppose the start point on this is because most people only ever sell one dental practice, they're learning as they go, and they don't mean to sometimes make these mistakes, they just don't know. And hopefully by us sharing the things that we've seen over the years, yeah, yeah, it means yeah. that people won't make the mistakes themselves. I don't think that, I think what it is sometimes, but we just don't, don't understand the process. And also, they don't necessarily understand the implications of doing or not doing. Yeah. Because they, they just don't think it's that important. Mm. But the reality of it is it can be majorly important. Yeah. And once you've sort of committed it can cause you real grief. So if you can actually do it and think about it and plan it before you start that path, mm. it's a bit like, isn't it? What's that great? What's that great thing that we used to work at that bank? And uh, because it was an Irish bank, they'd say, you know, if you wanted to, you wouldn't ask the bloke in Dublin how to get to Cork, and uh, you'd sort of then say, well, which road? Uh, where are you starting from? You know, the answer is you've got to have a, a journey plan. Otherwise, you could be starting from anywhere. The and wrong then, place. It'll be the wrong place. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, well, let's, it's kick, let's, let's, let's kick off with one. So one of the common pitfalls is right at the beginning, people don't get a valuation. And I know that sounds really basic and obvious, but the amount of people that will uh, speak to their accountant or speak to their friend or look at other practices that might be for sale and base their valuation on that. But every dental practice is unique. And we always say, whether people use Frank Taylor and Associates or not, it doesn't really matter. You should be getting an independent yeah. valuation so you know what your practice is worth. You wouldn't do it, would you? I, I, I think I, I say to people, if someone knocks on your door at home and said, uh, I'm going to offer you, 500,000, a million quid, whatever your your house value you think it is, you wouldn't say, oh, that's all right. No. You, you'd go on to Zoopla or On The Market or Right Move or whatever it is mm. and have a look. But you can't do that with dental practices because they are so unique. Mm. And the only way that you would really or should do it is – is get a proper valuation. I mean, I, 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 I've got two stories. I just did a, a valuation for someone who we, we valued the practice that they bought. Um, they bought for 250 from a, a man um, and it's now worth about 600 mm. because <laughs> the man didn't get a valuation. Because I, I think also, and I don't know what you think, is it because no matter what people say about practice values and how strong they are some people don't believe it so yeah. therefore they sort of think well actually i can't believe it would be worth six hundred thousand. so mm. 250 seems a good value oh and you know as a buyer you want to buy for the best price possible and if you've approached somebody <coughs> and they're uninformed um they will go with with what you tell them and mm. i suppose going back to the valuation that's where the up-to-date comparables matter as well to make sure that your valuation is based on what's happening now because 
a value a year ago or two years ago or pre-COVID would be very different to where we are now. And as we've come through COVID, lots of practices have improved their performance with that, their values increased as well. But also I think that the other thing on that, isn't it, that, that some practices, because of what they are, are not worth as much as they mm-hmm. were before because the <coughs> buyers have changed some of their parameters as to where they want to go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think something else where people struggle uh, and a common pitfall is where <coughs> they have a lack of up-to-date financial information. So they haven't kept their figures up to date. Mm-hmm. So the information they're using to present to a, a buyer or for the valuation could be a year, 18 months out of date. And given the period we've been through and given that dental practices weren't legally allowed to operate between the mm. 23rd of March 2020 and the 8th of June, that's a black hole. Mm. And if you don't have information available post that, so we can get a good idea what that looks like, mm. you're then going to be in a situation where you may not be getting fair value for your business because you might not be working to the most current information available. Yeah, no, I th- that's a, a really good point because it's there's been so much upheaval in the last two years hasn't yeah. it i mean do you remember i don't know if you and, and i'm sure it was just a, a a minor blip by that bank um who who on a couple of queries said well why is the uh, why's the turnover drop <laughs> and we sort of went because it was shut for like three months and they went, oh yeah you're right and but but it's it's simple things like that unless you really know someone who knows what they're talking about and understands it mm-hmm. then as you say you could be looking at and basing your value on nine months worth of figures. And, and that's on the assumption that you only did the same as you've done before. And I think as, as we have said, and you, you, know, you, you hear it, and I'm sure people listening, their performances in the main, especially with private fees, has shown a massive change. Mm, absolutely. A massive change. Something else as well, and, and I'll say two words and you'll probably shiver, which is the due diligence. <laughs> And it's it's it, it's a necessary evil of getting through the sale process. And we've seen where people are on top of managing the due diligence well, they can shave six, eight, ten weeks off their transaction At time least. by being organised. At least. I mean, some people. And, and yes, you know, we, we have a due diligence guide. And, okay, lawyers can be sometimes a bit irritating with the fact of, you know, you print it in... in a to Z, but actually they they really quite like it in Z to A. The mm. documentation, okay, it can be annoying for the lawyers in between, but it's not stuff they don't have. You you should be able to find it. You know, you should. Although be able you'd to find be surprised. It. Well, well, I suppose yeah. <laughs> Some, as, sometimes as we've had answer. cases where people can't find their NHS contract, they yeah. can't find their lease employment contracts. They're here somewhere. It's true, isn't it? And, and you know, we're, we're talking about the common pitfalls and, and things like if you're coming to sell your practice, then then the time to find this stuff out is before you go into the legal, say. So if, say, for instance, you haven't got a contract, and, and we, we've known a number of cases, haven't we, where, yeah. where they haven't got a contract. And, and I think it's interesting because we were, we were both involved in, in, that, in dentistry because... You know, we bought Frank Taylor's in 2000, didn't yeah. we? And, uh, and there are people who never <laughs> seem to have had a contract. Mm. That, so, so it's not that they've lost it. They've never had one, and, but, but they've still been paid. And, and if, if you know that at the beginning, then 
you can you can be up front and say, well, we haven't got a contract, mm. but we've been paid for the last, you know, And I suppose on a day-to-day basis when you're running your business, it kind of doesn't really matter. No, it Because does, yeah. you're being paid, you know, you're delivering on the terms, you mm. know, you know what you need to do. It's only when you go into a sale process and a solicitor says you need to provide this documentation. And if you don't have, let's focus on the NHS contract, which I know is quite unusual, but it has mm. happened. If suddenly you need to go to the LAT, and ask for a copy of a contract that would have been created probably back in 2006. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're now talking about something that was 16 years ago. And, and also, they have got smaller. So yeah. the likelihood or, or the possibility of it not actually being found mm. by the, 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 the LAT is pretty mm. strong as well. I, I say, you know, I'm going to ask a, de- a dental principal, you know, can you tell me where your Legionella test certificate, whatever it is you need, Mm. And the answer is, well, it's in a file somewhere, but I, yeah. I don't know where that file is. Well, the answer is find the file. I think the other thing that, that I find, you know, everyone wants to be super confidential, don't they, over their practices. Mm. And, and we as human beings notice when things aren't the same, you know, when the rhythm of life oh, slight, changes slight a behavior bit. behavior changes. Yeah. So, so therefore you've got some guy who's suddenly, or, or some girl who's now, suddenly scrabbling around and saying to the people, you know, the practice manager, do you know where the staff contracts are? Because the answer is they've ne- probably never, ever asked that question. So so that's an instant that's thought red, of the it? fact, hello, something's going on. So if you can do that before you even really think about it and mm-hmm. say, you know, well, I'm I'm reviewing my CQC, I want to make it more efficient. Because so, so. you've got to have these things, the CQC oh, yeah. and the law. Also, I think it just de-stresses the situation. Setting a business is a stressful thing to go through. The more pre-work you can do when you're not in the sale process, the more you can get yourself organised and all your data and information lined up. Mm. It just means it's going to be a smoother process all round. And I think also from a buyer's point of view, it it kind of indirectly says, I'm on top of my business, I'm in control. Mm. It's a well-organised, well-run, well-led business. Yeah. As opposed to you scrabbling around for information that might take three months to find. Yeah, it's in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be, but but we know it is. It's a bit like that thing, isn't it? You know, well, um, what happens if someone asks me that I'm selling my practice? And we sort of say, well, just come up with a, a credible answer that sort of says, well, I'm exploring my options. Because yeah. you haven't sold it. And I think I think it's that thing, isn't it, of, of it's just pre-planning. If you plan that someone might ask you that question, then you don't go bright red in the corridor and sort of fluff yeah. your lines, really. Because you can say, oh, well, yeah, I'm just considering my options at the moment. Yeah. And then most people go, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's, it's that oh, sort yeah. of self-fulfilling prophecy. The danger is you you make it look so underhand and dodgy mm. that then you embarrass yourself, you embarrass your team member, and that's when you all start mm. to get a bit worried about what's going on, really. I, I think another pitfall that, that, that people fall into is is which solicitor they use you know they what use, you mean the one that uh, bought a house yeah it well, it's, it's the conveyancing solicitor or the family friend or you know the person that helped their mate buy a hotel it, it, there's, there's endless <laughs> stories of people using and don't get me wrong i'm sure they're very good solicitors i'm sure you know yeah, yeah, yeah. in what they do they're good however there are many nuances to dentistry and it's important that you get somebody that understands those nuances mm. because if something doesn't get covered off in that agreement and heaven forbid down the road that agreement needs to be pulled out, you want to make sure that as a seller you're protected, mm. you know, the warranties are appropriate and everything's covered out in it. But even if you then go within dental solicitors, 
it's also important to find you you work with somebody who you get on with mm. because you're going to be working with this person quite closely for several months. Mm. So having that kind of relationship between you and your solicitor is important, but also checking their capacity to, yeah, to run your deal. Definitely. Because everybody gets busy and you need to make sure that the person you're working with has the, the headroom to give you the service. Yeah. You don't want, you know, you're buying, whether you're buying or selling a practice, when you're selling it, you sort of want it done, don't you? Oh, yeah. You, you, you don't want someone who says, well, I tell you, I'm really, so, I'm really sorry, I'm so busy, I can't do anything for six weeks. Mm. Because, hang on a minute, that's six weeks. And, and, and the buyer, remember, wants to get on with this as well. So I, 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 say, I must admit, it, it, it surprises me when people will accept that. And, and I think the, the key thing for me when you look at any of those of the legal contracts is it's not so much what's in it, it's maybe what's not in it. Mm. And, and the thing is, if you've chosen a guy who sold your house or bought your house or did a news agents or did a hotel, they won't understand dentistry. So you won't have things in the contract. Yeah. Which you as a dentist won't know you should have in the contract. Mm. I mean, you think of that guy that we had, what was it? His, I can't remember, it was, it was a while ago, but he used that firm who basically uh, managed to forget to put anything about warranties and indemnities or something. And he ended up about, wasn't it about a year later, these guys were knocking on his door asking for a hundred grand because of poor work or mm. something. And in the end, they agreed on a payment because one, it was going to be so expensive to go to litigation. Yeah. And two, there was no clear rebuttal mm. or or clear um, defined path within the, mm. the SPA, the Sand and Perch Agreement. But he didn't know that because no. he's a dentist. And there was another one that was a long time ago where the he didn't have any commercial experience and didn't put anything in the agreement about the finance needing to be discharged for the equipment. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I forgot about the that. buyer took over and then obviously the finance didn't continue yeah. to be paid and the the debt collectors turned up at the practice and repossessed the equipment. Yeah, so I remember and that. The, the seller had since left the country, so there was no recourse back to the seller. Yeah. So, you know, they're unusual cases, <coughs> sound kind of quite extreme, but they do happen. They yeah. do happen from time and, to time. And as you say, you, you, you know, as a, as a selling dentist, you're a brilliant dentist, you're a clinician who doesn't really have business training, even if in a way you've, you've developed a really good business mind in your practice you've probably never sold one so therefore the implications and what you need within your contract mm. to protect you you've probably never come across before no. so you probably don't even it, you know it goes back to you don't know what you don't know and yeah. that's that's where you get yourself mm. in trouble i think absolutely i think the other one we were saying about kind of timing your sale in the context of your due diligence and, and getting your paperwork lined up. But I think there's another area where people kind of trip themselves up in because they don't plan their sale that far in advance. We get lots of people that come to us who, you know, want a valuation and it's sold within, you know, three, four, six months. But if you take a slight longer run up and you can straddle a couple of accounting years, there's going to be some allowances, some mm. un unused allowances, that, you know, tax allowances that you're going to be able to use mm. Um that are only available to you while you own a business. Mm. So if you can speak to your accountant, financial advisor, us, whoever, mm. and understand what's available to you while you still own a business, it means one, you're going to 
ultimately end up with more money mm. than you might have. And that might offset some of the costs related to selling your dental practice. Well, I'm always amazed at the, the capital allowances on freehold. Yeah. yeah you know, uh, any, any of you guys listening uh, either own your commercial freehold or know a friend who owns their commercial freehold, then you have to take note of this one. Because you need to check if you have claimed the capital allowance on your freehold. So not on your equipment, fixtures and fittings, but on your freehold. Mm. Because typically it works out to be 10% of what you paid for it can be offset against your tax bill. So not a tax allowance. That's not like depreciation. This is 10% off your tax bill. So you bought a freehold for 500,000. It would probably net down to 50,000. Your tax bill is 100,000. You only pay fifty thousand pounds in tax, and I I look at it and I think one, you only pay someone to do it if it's successful. Two, it's sort of money for old rope, and three, it's been around for hundreds mm. of years. But so many people we talk to, they never even know it, and it can only be claimed once, can't it? So yeah. if it's been claimed before, you can't <clears> claim again. However. Lots of properties haven't had it claimed yet. No. Use so it or available. lose it. Was it about 2014 yeah. or 15 or so? And, and when you look at that, you know, you think of that one, you, you, you're going to be paying legal fees, okay? You'll be paying commission fees. But at the end of the day, if you could save that in tax, you've actually yeah. just paid for everything yeah. out of money that you were going to have to spend on tax mm. anyway. So it's a bit free and gratis, oh, it's really. A winner. It's a winner. And and that's on the property. That's if you own the property. So that would be a freehold. Yeah. If you're selling your dental practice and you don't have the freehold, you would have a leasehold. Make sure you know where the lease is. Oh. Get the documentation out. Make sure the lease is in there. But also look at the lease because when you come to sell, <laughs> the buyer is going to be interested on the remaining terms of the lease. Yeah. So if you've got a 15-year lease, which is great, but you only have three years remaining. What's the ma- question we hate? What's the answer we hate to hear from, from dentists about their leases? I have a fabulous relationship with my landlord. <laughs> Everybody will tell us they have He's a fabulous my mate. relationship She's my mate. with my landlord. Oh, unbelievable. The the reality is, unfortunately, very often landlords, you know, they're commercial beings, and if the lease is short, and if a landlord gets an inkling that that needs to be extended for sale, quite often a premium will be payable yeah, yeah, for that lease yeah. to be extended. And I think we've seen premiums of fifty to seventy thousand pounds well, paid. That, that recent one, wasn't it? It was a, a, something like a two million pound practice sale. And uh, the landlord got a whiff of of this, and I think it was sixty three thousand yeah. or sixty five thousand to actually extend the lease. And basically, the, the the seller, you're you're rocking hard place, aren't you? Because on a on a three year lease, yeah. you're not going to get two million quid or no lease, the value no was. sale, <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it? And that's the thing, and and it's it's one of those things again, going back to that kind of taking a, a slightly longer term mm. view you need to make sure in a perfect world you'd have plus 10 years remaining on your lease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, between seven and 10 years, starts to get a bit tight. South of that, probably want to start having a conversation with your landlord about getting that, that mm. lease extended so that it's in good shape, ready for that sale. And, and I think what also ties with that, and you mentioned it earlier on, is give yourself a run-up. You know, mm. it, we, we, for years, we just said to people, look, if you, if you want to go in five years time this is a time to build your practice because everybody sniffs one really good year yeah and we discount one really good year yeah what they want to see is a consistency of income so 
If you want to gain three years, five years, then spend your time building your practice, getting all your due diligence together, getting all your mm. processes right, because it will be so much easier mm. when you come to do the transaction and you, you shall hopefully achieve a higher sale mm. value. But that, that point also links to keeping your foot on the pedal through the process uh, as well. So yeah. make sure your figures look good and they're consistent in the run up to the year you decide to sell. However, once you've got an offer accepted, you need to keep your foot on the pedal, maintain your performance, keep your figures up through the sale process because mm. it's heartbreaking. And we've seen it oh, a number of I times where people get an offer accepted, you know, they're kind of popping the champagne corks. That process could take four or five months, but they effectively stop working. Mm. So then when the buyer or perhaps the buyer's bank mm -hmm. asks for some up-to-date financial information three, four, five months into the process to find that those those fees have, have nosedived and suddenly there's a re-evaluation that takes place and suddenly they're not going to get 800,000. It's looking more like 650,000. Mm. It's horrible. Mm. So keeping your foot on the pedal, maintaining that income, maintaining mm. that, that momentum is critical. And, and an interesting aside to that, isn't it? It doesn't mean that you as the dentist need to keep working because what you could do, which we've seen, is, is people saying, well, actually, you know, I don't want to work five days a week, mm. so I'm going to go down to three days, get an associate in for two yeah. days. And, and from us as valuers, it doesn't matter because we will base out Make on a full-time yeah. value a, a dentist anyway. But what you don't want to do is, as you say, sort of keep working five days or four and a half days, whatever it is, but effectively relax so as you are only working three days mm. in fee income generation because then, then it's really hard to justify because what people will assume is it's not because you chill down and relax, it's because... The yeah. fees aren't there, yeah. so therefore that means the fees aren't there. So now I'm now I'm in trouble. Mm. And a bank valuation, what well, bank valuation lasts? Is it four months? I think it was about four yeah. months, and yeah. then it has to be redone again. So the quicker you can get this stuff done and keep your foot going, because uh, as we say, it's not over until the money's yeah. in the bank. Account. It's funny we were talking to to Ricky Adams in another episode of, of the podcast, and he was saying that whilst he was in the sale process, he basically discounted that and was just running his business mm. and making decisions based on if this doesn't go through, we want to be in the best shape possible. And that is a, that's a great lesson for anybody who's gonna be going through yeah. the sale process. Pretend, trick yourself into thinking you're not selling. Yeah. What decisions would you make and how would you be running your business if you weren't in a sale process? And, and, and don't do things that you wouldn't do. You know, how many times have we seen it? And unfortunately, it's not a super common thing mm. but but when people say oh well yeah what i've done is uh, i've given my staff a 20 percent pay rise <sighs> i've given them uh, a massive christmas bonus uh, which has now become contractual so chris um, what would that do to the profit yeah of that uh, surprisingly enough drives it down and guess which what impacts the value where's your value <laughs> and and it but, but people don't see that do yeah. they they sort of think oh well you know my staff have been moving 20 years and i think I'm with, a big pay I, rise. I think with lots Man. of these pitfalls people don't set out to chip themselves up they don't set out to erode their value cause problems they do things because they just don't understand the impact and the consequences yeah. of what it's like with the pay rise you know but it would be lovely it'd be lovely to pay people a bit more give them a bonus or whatever it might be because they think they're doing a good thing yeah, yeah. without necessarily understanding the impact that yeah. could have on the transaction or the underlying value and you can understand and it's that thing isn't it you know and this is i suppose where you need the expertise is give them a bonus yeah it's so a one-off. It's not contractual. You're not adding the cost base. It's just one-off. It's going to be in your accounts anyway. Yeah. It is 
But unless you know that, mm. you give them a pay rise mm. and then, then you're in trouble. And when you're selling a dental practice, which for the majority of people represents a significant part of their life's work, it's always sad when there's things that people could do oh, and yeah. they don't do it and they don't quite get the end result they could have yeah. just by asking a few questions. And hopefully this sort of information will give people mm. some of those sort of tools and tips and tricks so yeah. that they get a good outcome for yeah, themselves. And, and as you say, it's, it's, it's out of ignorance. Yeah. And, and it's not meant to be rude. It's just the fact that it's not yet there their area of expertise they they've they might have run a really successful and produced a really successful practice you know we we see cars don't we ranging from people who've no idea how they've really made their money to other people who are so focused they can produce a a a monthly p l for you and they know where everything is but they haven't sold a business no (laughs) so it's it's almost a very different set Mm. of skills but also if you think about the first time you do anything it's a bit clunky Mm. you're kind of learning you don't really know what's going on so to do that on a business is is risky so Mm. the more informed you can get you know the better advice you can get hopefully you'd avoid some of these common pitfalls and get a better outcome yeah brilliant definitely so yeah if if you are listen to this and make sure you don't fall into those holes absolutely brilliant thank you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram